It's a long way home from here I won't be back in a year Cause all the fallen leaves, the birds, the breeze Capture me again And all the lies you tell someone else Sure could use a friend And welcome back to another episode of Into the Wilderness Brought to you by SeaWorld Canada I'm your host Dan Lonergan As always, you can find our show on Spotify, Google Podcasts Wherever you get your favorite shows uh, and if you do want to learn more about the world of work, integrated learning and everything in between, check us out on YouTube, Seawell Canada, uh, or visit our website, seawellcanada.ca. I said at the end of the last episode that we were going to continue the conversation of, you know, whether it's remote work, integrated learning or work, integrated learning from home, will from home. Um, last time out, you know, we had that conversation about the project space, but I really wanted to dive deeper into that concept of, of remote work and apply it specifically uh, in the co-op space um, and, and how that impacted employers who you know regularly take on co-op students, what that looked like as far as onboarding practices, recruitment practices, interviews, um, and then the effect that it had on students, both positive and negative. Um, and obviously COVID playing a large part in everything that happened and everything in between. So today, I'm I'm very excited to welcome two guests from the co-op space um, in their own respective areas. First up, he's the manager of cooperative education and career success at Georgian College, whose role it is to support student-facing members of the co-op and career success team. He's also the head coach of the varsity rugby team at Georgian and a member of the Roselands Horticultural Society. John Daggett joins us on the show today. Welcome, John. Dan, thank you for the time today. I appreciate it. And he's a talent partnerships consultant in cooperative education at Brock University who manages relationships between employers and co-op students. He has a passion for building and maintaining constructive, mutually advantageous partnerships and relationships. And he's never seen a river he did not want to fish. Ryan LaRouche is here. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you, Dan, for having me. Appreciate it. Now, Ryan, I know you're a, you're a Niagara guy, Brock University, and... Uh, and I myself am as well and grew up in, in Chippewa. And for those who are familiar with the area, it's it's not a creek, it's a crick. Have <laughs> have you fished the Chippewa Crick? Um, I have fished it once. I've fished many tributaries off of the crick itself. Okay. All right. Well, for, for the audience, there's a little fun fact on on creek versus crick, and we could spend <laughs> a whole whole day talking about that. Yeah. Um, and, and John, you spend half your time on the rugby pitch. What's that been like uh, recently? Yeah, it's good. We just uh, came off uh, Saturday. We're down in Kingston, competed for gold medal silver. So we're happy with that. But, you know, just a great group considering in June, July, we didn't think we were going to play rugby this fall. We we're pretty happy with how the season went. So absolutely. Yeah. And, and appreciate the fact you guys like fishing, being a Northern Ontario guy. Yeah, it's close <laughs> to home. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I wanna I wanna get into today's topic and, and I know you both we you know we've we've spoken off air about a lot of these things, but the way that you know typical co-op work terms were operating for a long time, uh were kind of thrown into question back in, in March of twenty twenty when you know COVID started rolling through and simply put it was, you know, can we continue doing this if I if I'm an employer what do I do with the students that I have in my office? Do I send them home? Do we finish their work terms? You know, because at that point, we're we're a couple months in if they had started in January. Um, but 
you know, let's let's go back a little bit before that and, and just kind of, you know, for, for listeners who are in work integrated learning, but not in the co-op space, I just want to paint that picture of, you know, the tradition of your roles, expectations, site visits, how things typically uh, went about. And, and Ryan, I'll, I'll just get you to to jump off with this one. Like what was, you know, a, a typical term for you pre-COVID? Sure. So um, I think from a, from a site visit perspective, it was, you know, say, say I had to do like 40 to 60, just somewhere in that range, any term. Um, any ones that were based out of Niagara, all the, you know, say like Niagara Hamilton area, it was like pretty likely you were going to visit them on site. Um, and then when you'd be in downtown Toronto, where Toronto, where we have you know a large number of students working for um, primarily banks or financial institutions in the King and Bay corridor, um, at least once a term, you would be going down there and spending a couple of days cumulatively um, hitting the different buildings all throughout the, the, the core um, to visit students that were on, you know, maybe it was their first work term or their second or their third, um, or taking an employer out to lunch because there was a large, you know, number of them that were located in the downtown core. It's like 2 million people a day going to the downtown core pre-COVID to work in the financial services and surrounding area. Um, so it was pretty much all in person. I mean, this job at its core, because it's not student facing, is it's sales and relationship management because my, my main you know, quote unquote clients are um, external organizations covering a variety of industries. So a lot of it was was in person at least you know once a year uh, to keep things going and then always in person to facilitate new conversations over you know lunches or seminars, but it was always in person. And, and John, on your side of the things at Georgian, uh, similar history there or you know was your role a little bit different yeah greg and ryan's right on you know before i moved into the manager role i was uh the employer relations consultant for the school of hospitality so like ryan says you know so much of that time was on the road building and maintaining relationships you know especially in hospitality uh you know the industry's never met a lunch they didn't like kind of thing so it's always uh you know come on up for lunch but that was so important and and you know i think that's maybe where we're going is Initially, we couldn't think of another way to keep those relationships and to maintain them. Um, and initially, that was kind of some of those our big questions is how are we going to do this, you know, in this current world? And, uh, you know, we were and, and I know Ryan's probably the same way you, you kind of innovate, right? Both uh, both ourselves and, and the industries that we work in uh, were very innovative around that and probably realized that we could maintain those relationships and build new ones just in a different way. Absolutely. And, and I want to come back to that relationship management piece in a, in a minute, but if, if you had to put a, an estimate on it or, you know, just off the top of your heads, pre, pre-March 2020 in a term, how many of them were remote? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll answer Ryan because we were in, you know, for hospitality, probably zero. Right. right. Everybody is on site. But even, you know, now moving to the manager role, looking at all the programs we have from computers, engineering. I mean, that would be, you know, such a small number. We didn't it was it was exciting when somebody was working remotely. That's how that's how rare and unique it was. Yeah. You know, um, Dan, I would have to say that pre-COVID, I, I maybe like one or two ever students I ever met 
that that had that because even full-time staff it was pretty rare uh, even you know at more like kind of forward-thinking non-archaic and in way institutions um it was really even then it wasn't as common so with students like no chance so yeah i i can't even think of one to be honest right and that was kind of the conversation we had on the previous episode too even in the project space that you know, it was so common to bring people into classes or have students go, you know, visit uh, if it was a field kind of experience, they'd have to go and see the place in person, you know, a, a video call or pictures wouldn't suffice, but they can be just as effective. Um, so, okay, so let's, you know, let's get into this March of 2020 situation. What, what did you expect would happen? John, why don't you go ahead first, because uh, your industry I don't know as much about, so I'm very interested to hear your side of this as well. Yeah, you know what, I can tell you right off the bat, the hospitality industry went into full panic mode. What are we going to do? We're so used to serving people, uh, you know, face-to-face, over a counter. Um, that's what we know. That's what we do. And really, the only thing we looked at in the hospitality in general is maybe, you know, um, booking online or registering online. And then shifting completely to being able, can we provide just about all service in this new format? Uh, and so, you know, we saw a huge increase in, in Uber Eats. That's probably the simple one, right? Or, or you know, any of those delivered, uh, deliver and dying kind of methods. But initially, the, the industry shut down, partly because of health uh, reasons. But uh, the second part is we didn't know how to respond right away. And um, so, yeah, that wasn't surprising. And I think that happened for a lot of industries as well. And as far as your students at that time, you know, were the ones that were already in work terms, Mm -hmm. you know, or hadn't quite completed them, were they being, you know, are they being told like, hey, like, you got like, this is done, like, we we don't know how to finish this? Or were they just kind of understand most of your employer partners were like, you know, we'll, we'll see it out to the end, but see what you can complete from home kind of thing? Yeah, depending on, you know, where they were in, in their work term, where they were located, you know, that was, uh, you know, there was some flexibility there. A lot of the employers were very understanding and said, look, you know, we've got 75%, 80% of this work term done. You know, as a college, we're happy to give you credit for it. The employer is happy to give you credit for it. Uh, something we've never faced before. So let's finish this up, give you as much as we can, and then you know, look for what the next steps are kind of starting fresh from there. So it was good to see that real understanding from all industries we dealt with, you know, that were really supportive of the students. And then Ryan, on your side of things, you know, dealing with with a number of different programs that I know that you you deal with from an employer perspective, what, you know, what were you seeing back at, you know, March 2020 or what was happening? Yeah, you know, similar to, to what John had, has been, you know, speaking about, because of the timing, the way it worked out is that by, you know, mid-March, I think it was around like the 16th to the 20th range is when this all basically was like shut everything down. By that point in the game, most students had done at least their out, like they required the bare minimum requirement of hours. Um, so, so long as they pass 420, uh, everything else is just, you know, icing on the cake, so to speak. So a lot of the employers are reaching out to us to say, hey, like, I don't want this person to not get the co-op credit. What do we have to do to keep things going? Um, but I think like most people, I, I remember I was sitting at my desk thinking, 
are we going to have any jobs in the summer to, to like, are people hiring? I think a lot of people across, you know, not just co-op, but in general hiring practices were like, are, are there going to be massive layoffs? And, and, you know, in the Niagara region specifically, it's a massive hospitality sector. It's our number one sector, right? Like that's the Niagara Falls. That's 85% of its economics or the economic um, positioning is, is based around that somewhere in that range. And now you don't have anyone, you don't have people going to restaurants and bars and hotels and everything else that stems off of that. So the employers are coming to us saying, you know, we want to work with you to make sure they, they get it. Um, some employers said, hey, like they can work from home for the remainder of the term. But prior to this, because working from home was so uncommon, a lot of people, I think, were saying, hey, do we have the infrastructure in place to support this type of work? And if do I want a student to work from home um, off of an, you know, an unsecured Internet connection with confidential information um, in a variety of in a variety of industries, you know, never like look at accounting firms, people's, you know, view of people's complete financial histories. Uh, you know, you work at corporate banks, you have all kinds of things that a corporate bank, you know, it's proprietary information or information you just don't want out to the world. Um, and now all of a sudden you have people working from home off of, a, you know, a, an unstable Kojiko Bell or Rogers internet connection, right? Um, so, there, you know, there was obviously that worry, but I think finishing this happening at the end of March was an advantageous timing from the perspective of at least it wasn't at the beginning of the term where they right. had like one weekend. Then then how do you navigate it? Yeah. Yeah. I imagine how that, you know, if this was January 16th as opposed to March 16th, it probably would have been a very different conversation Yeah, absolutely. Um, and an outcome for a lot of students. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you mentioned, I mean, both of you touched on the hospitality industry and uh, we had, you know, uh, Joe Baker from Tourism HR Canada on a previous episode, just really talking about how hard hit that industry has been. And I mean, yeah, for both of us in Niagara and and John, you know, you, you being in a school of hospitality, it was very evident to see that this was going to be a big problem for that industry. And it still is. And um, I think it's, you know, how do they how do they come out of this and, and start to reinvent but also at the same time not shy away from engaging with student talent um i mean for for people listening feel free to go back and, and have a listen to that episode if you're passionate about the hospitality uh, and tourism sector but how okay so this happened you know march 2020 was it how long did it take for people to kind of wrap their heads around this this concept of remote work from home, remote co-op placements, was it, you know, was it a spring, summer, so, you know, typically May start, or or was it closer to the fall uh, by the time people were saying, like, okay, you know what, I think we can try this? Yeah, sorry, Ryan, if you don't mind, I'll jump no, in. No, John, you know, go ahead. For, for us, I think, you know, so much was unknown. There was initially, <laughs> like Ryan said, work from home initially was like, here, take these papers home, work on them and then we'll meet somewhere and you can bring them back to me. Right. Like that was remote work because we didn't understand what it was. Right. And seeing where we are now is really impressive. So I think that was the first part. Um, and really the unknowns just at the college university level, what is, what do the academic semesters look like? What are we going to do? Are people coming back to the offices? So once we kind of had an idea from the college of here's what the summer term looks like, everybody's going to work remotely. 
once we got into that, I think we were kind of able to lead that a little bit and then go to our industries and say, here's what we're doing. Here's, you know, maybe this is the thought you need to go with. And a big part, obviously, you know, we had talked about it for years around, you know, remote work, but there was no, you know, there wasn't a real impetus behind it. This was the kick that we needed, right? Like here, we're, we have to now. Let's get the infrastructure in place. Let's get the technology in place. Let's be leaders in it. And I think the universities and colleges really were. And then once we started to lead the industries we work with, we had a bit of a, hey, it's working for us and this is how it's working. And we were able to provide some guidance. Uh, and when I say we, I mean post-secondary institutions right across the province. Uh, we're able to provide some guidance on how to make remote work really work. And I think that's big for, for a lot of people that have never gone down this path before. And, and I think, you know, you mentioned one of you mentioned previously, like even for your full time staff and, and all of us included. Right. Like we were all involved in this uh, at the time and, and trying to figure out what does this even mean for me, let alone, you know, for both of you working with students. And at the time I was dealing with all of these community projects, what, like what, what happens first? And I don't know, I'm of the mindset that whether whether it's a full-time permanent staff member or a student that you have on a co-op work term, it, it all boils down to to trust in your employees, right? Like whether you trust your your permanent staff, should you trust them any more than, than the student that you've hired? I don't think so. And as long as you set them up and equip them, whether it's with technology, if it's a laptop that they need, um, so that they can effectively do their job from home. So if it's software that you have to get in, installed, whatever it might be, there's some silver linings, at least when I look at, at this whole scenario that really, in my mind, reduced some barriers um, to students as far as accessing co-op work terms and, and where they had the ability to go, or at least perceived ability of, well, I can't you know, if I'm living in a certain part of the country or a certain part of a province, I better not look at jobs in downtown Toronto because I can't afford to move there um, or I can't be commuting because I live too far away. So, um, you know, Ryan, what did you start to see as far as that opening up, like this whole, this whole situation opening up opportunities for students? Yeah, so... Um... I know you and I had kind of chatted about that beforehand because that's something that I've noticed if you want to call it the silver lining of all of this has been so being in Niagara um, it's it's an area that is far enough away from the downtown Toronto core where all like the big corporate jobs are that you know you don't feel like you're in the the, the heat of the city but it's close enough that if you, you know, if you really, really, really want to get down there, you could. But when I say that, I mean, it's close enough if you want to go to like a Jays game or something, but not if you want to drive into work every single day. Um, and what I found with people from the Niagara region, especially students that, that go to Brock is a lot of them come from families where they're in, this is the economics of the region we live in. The reality of it is that there is not a ton of disposable income that people can just afford to help their son or daughter pay exorbitant rental prices in downtown Toronto um, for four months so that they can work at an internship or a co-op. Even when the co-op is paid, 
um, the price of living in Toronto versus the rate in which you're being paid, they don't match up. And, and that's just reality for a lot of people in full-time positions now in the bigger cities. But from a co-op perspective, what I, what I noticed happened was now, let's say you had a whole bunch of students from the Niagara region who always wanted to work in some level of banking. For all these years, we said, yeah, okay, if you want to work in a co-op in the, in the bank, this is downtown Toronto. Oh, well, I can't commute three hours each way. I understand that. Nobody in their right mind really could do that or sustainably do it. And so they wouldn't be able to apply for these jobs. So then all the students who had the the mobility, which is the people from closer and closer areas, or the financial means to do it, could get those jobs year in and year out. So it puts people from smaller, more rural communities at an immediate disadvantage. But now with the advent of technology, technology in a lot of ways is the great equalizer because the biggest pitfall for people in, in getting to positions is oftentimes mobility and affordability that's tied to mobility. Well, now if I have a if I have an internet connection and a laptop, I'm now a viable candidate for that job. And in a lot of cases, we've seen students who are getting those jobs that traditionally hadn't been able to because they don't have to move from home anymore. So now because they don't have to face these economic barriers, they're saying, hey, I'm a competitive candidate for this job now. And so you're opening up opportunities to people that in a lot of time, in a lot of cases, didn't always have those opportunities. And it's been proven, as John mentioned, from the university and college perspective workforce, this can be done. Is it going to be the same for every school, George and Brock, George Brown, King uh, Western, it, it's it's all different based on your manager, based on the type of job you do, the industries you support. There's no black and white, and this is the same for co-op students. There's no black and white solution. The jobs that we the, the jobs that we recruit for are probably more easily done over technology than the ones that John's program would recruit for. That's the reality of the programs, right? So it's not it, it even though it's an equalizer it's not equal for everybody so you know i don't want it to, to sound like it's you know the be all end all of the solution um, because different jobs require different levels of um, in-person or non-in-person participation absolutely yeah there's definitely there's fields and there's sectors and there's industries and and you know again previous episode you take the the electricity industry a lot of those jobs you can't do from home right it's just a reality of it but you know in in that learning it's like but that's why they had to send out you know two trucks to every site because people couldn't couldn't carpool together anymore so but that adds an extra cost to doing business because now you have to have more more fleet or a larger fleet of vehicles and um lots of things john on on your side of things at the college level what you know what did you see from a positive spin come out of this is it similar in the sense of you know it started to kind of level the playing field a bit yeah, you know, Dan's right on. I mean, it gave students more access to more jobs, right? Uh, where before, yeah, it, it may be not, just not viable, not feasible for me to move. So that was part of it. The other side, from the employer perspective, I also think it gave employers um, a bit of a, uh, a broader base to recruit from as well, where they're like, hey, you know what, usually we have to, you know, we have to look at people who can either move or are local, now we can have people, you know, we're in Muskoka, we can have somebody from the Niagara region working for us because, you know, of technology. So that was huge. And then from the recruitment part, you know, we look at a lot of what we did was on campus. Employers would come on campus, recruit people, and we're like, well, how are we going to do that? You know, we have a job fair with 100 employers. How are we going to get them here? And so, you know, the innovative side of 
doing a remote job fair, um, which is now seems like, oh yeah, we do that all the time. But at the time it was like, that's mind boggling. How do you do that? Right. And even just one-on-one that once again, saved employers a lot of travel time, you know, employers right across the country who would usually come from Western Canada to recruit can now just do it virtually saves them time and money, allows them to kind of virtually introduce themselves to students at any time. Um, So yeah, when we look at some of the positives, that's for me, one of the big ones from the employer perspective is they're really able to cast a broader net. I think students can look at more opportunities right across the province, the country, and just the way recruitment is now done. I think it's been really innovative from that perspective as well. So yeah, I think there's been some really good stuff that has actually come out of it. Yeah, and I echo that that statement too on the, you know, being able to, if I'm an employer, that now it's much easier for me if I really want to get involved with a school across the country, I sign into Zoom or I sign into Teams, right? And, and, and we talked about that last week as far as the project space goes too. We can work with more clients that before it was like, well, how am I going to get this person on campus or they're not going to spend, you know, money to, to get on a plane and to travel here and then they got to stay in a hotel and it's for a you know, a, a half day job fair, you really got to weigh the, the cost on doing on doing business that way. And now it's it's eliminated for them as well. So I, I like that you brought that point up. Um, you know, it was mentioned that there's no black and white solution. And I completely agree that every institution, every every workplace for that matter, you got to figure out what's going to work for you and your employees and your staff moving forward. And I'm I've said this you know, in personal meetings and in work meetings, I I really don't like when people start comparing from a point of, well, you know, so-and-so does this or so-and-so does that. I I find that that narrative to be kind of toxic. Um, And I think Ryan, you know, you alluded to, you gotta, you gotta do what works for you and for your business, for your organization. in In our cases for your institution, maybe even your department. And maybe you look for best practices um as as that leading voice as opposed to a hard stop comparative of like well that's what we better do um and i know each of you have done your own things as far as your your co-op students go um but but john i was wondering if if you could share uh the example that that you guys did out in georgian as far as kind of an alternative during covid to to a traditional co-op work term yeah, it started it started that summer, you know, started summer 2020 and we're looking at some some alternatives for students that were just unable to do a traditional co-op. Um, and what can we do? So we came up with an alternative project and it had a, a number of different layers to it. Students were doing research in the industry. Um, you know, they had, they had to show that they had done some research and, and had a job search in that as well. But it also gave us a chance to work with a couple different areas in the college and, and i'll say this is probably the biggest thing from our perspective is we worked with our alumni association we also worked with our center for change making and social innovation and came up with what we think is you know a pretty unique and pretty special alternative project uh, where students went through did did their um did their research on their industry went through kind of a you know a week where they took workshops on social innovation you know, we looked at, you know, some of the uh, UN sustainable goals and how we how they could touch into there. Uh, a lot of alumni networking sessions that were available, which was great. You know, alumni talking about their progression and also 
how they pivoted, and I hate to use that word, I apologize now to everybody, uh, you know, how they pivoted during the pandemic while they were in the workforce, or if they just graduated, you know, so they were providing some real world stories from that as well. And then, um, you know, something we call Change the Now, which was, a, you know, a really good week, and, and students were collaborative on working towards those UN sustainable goals. And so by the end, they had a really, you know, a, a project that touched on their industry. It was collaborative with other students. They were able to to meet with people, you know, in, in uh, other other departments, other programs, and were also able to work on some some social innovation as well. Um, so at the end of it, we were happy that you know what they were coming out with had some rigor to it. It was substantial, and there was learning involved. And that's something we actually continued on right up until this current semester. This will be the last semester we offered in its current form, but we are looking at it. How do we then offer that in a more formal setting going forward? So take it away from, okay, you know, I, I couldn't find a job. What about applying for it? What about using it as an actual co-op now where there's, you know, some real benefit and value to it, potentially some, uh, some remuneration from it as well. So, yeah, it was great. And the biggest thing for me at the college was how we were collaborative amongst the other departments in the school, which, you know, I think for years, and, and I'll speak for my, for ourselves, is I think we kind of got into silos. Everybody was looking after themselves. And this forced us, which was great, to be collaborative. Yeah, I think silos are, you know, commonplace in institutions. And it just happens because of the, the sheer size of them and, and all the moving parts. But yeah, I really, I know when we talked about it previously and you'd mentioned, you know, working with, with your alumni relations group and it, that can be a challenge too, just, you know, staying engaged with grads from programs or encouraging grads of programs to reach back out. And, you know, if you were a co-op student now become the employer, but keeping those lines of communication open. So the fact that you were, you know, you're able to, to leverage that um, relationship internally and strengthen it is is amazing and then the fact that you had you know the student interest enough that it kept going and now you're even considering keeping this around um it's just a really creative way i think of of dealing with this situation and creating something positive out of it that students can benefit you know whether this is a permanent thing or it exists in in perpetuity until it's it, something else needs to come along um ryan on on your side of things you know working with employers now virtually and 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 having all of these students now completing you know a few work terms remotely are there are there best practices that you're seeing from from you know industry as far as onboarding or howing like how to how do you maintain uh motivation or culture when when your entire workforce or at least your student workforce is working remotely mm -hmm. yeah so i think um Cultural perspective is a tough one to speak to because that's such a it's I think it's easier to maintain a culture at a mom and pop size organization because, you know, there there might be like 10 of you or 15 or 20 or 30. Um, but when you get into like the big banks where there's, you know, like, you know, upwards of 80,000 employees at some of these big banks from like an international perspective and your department itself might have hundreds of people in it and broken down into like different categories. Uh, the culture, culture is kind of a tough one. Um, I think, though, from an onboarding perspective, the key I've seen from a success from a successful organization standpoint has been 
um, over communication and constantly checking in with the student to make sure, you know, if they have any questions, if they have any concerns, are they understanding the work they're doing? Because, you know, right now the tough part about not being in person is, you know, say I'm a student and John's my manager, I can't just pop into his office or hang over, head over the cubicle, like, how do I do this? Or how would I, how do you think I should manage this conversation? The things that you learn in the office, just understanding how to work in, a, in you know, the water cooler talk and, and understanding the office environment and, and really like navigating politics within an office um, are all real things that you don't necessarily get an opportunity to, to entrench yourself in when you're fully remote. Um, now, if I'm fully remote, but I've been in the workforce for over, you know, say 10 or 15 years versus someone who's been in the workforce for 10 or 15 days, um, the need for me to be in person versus them are, are very different. Um, but onboarding, I've noticed that organizations that do it where they constantly check in, where they have a buddy system, you know, someone that's not too far ahead of you can say, hey, are, you, are everything good? Are you understanding what, what we're doing? Do you have questions that maybe you don't feel comfortable bringing up in a, a Teams meeting where there's 30 people on your screen? Um, I think communication is key, but arguably I think communication, strong communication skills are key in any organization at any level um, because if you have poor communication, whether it's through organizational means or team sports, everything falls apart. Right. And I think it's a matter of, you know, putting the structures in place to support that kind of communication. And I mean, we're all we're all immersed in, you know, multiple forms of communication. Now it's no it's not just email or it's not just the phone. And now, you you know, now the comfort around a tool like like Microsoft Teams or, you know, WebEx, pick your platform <laughs> that you're using, not just from a calling perspective, but like that quick, quick touch points, those quick pieces of communication where I can be. I can be addressing, you know, four or five different people's concerns almost at the same time, as mm. opposed to, you know, really having to structure that out. If someone's in my office currently, well, you're not just going to barge in and ask me your question just out of, you know, common sense. But these are some of the things that, you know, at least I've noticed that have changed just from a working perspective. And I imagine it's no different being a student worker. But to your point, it is very different, I think, you know, for the three of us and, and, a larger part of the population who has had that in-office experience. So it was it was a change and a lot of people don't like change, but it was just a matter of dealing with that, getting over the initial shock, becoming comfortable with these tools. But we've we've kind of honed some of those skills a bit more maybe than a student, especially on like a first work term where it's like this this could be all you know, like you may not have a lot of work experience to draw on. And now all of a sudden you have to do this remotely and, and you know dancer just to add on that the the interesting thing i've noticed about the culture and you know obviously working from home is a very big uh, cultural topic in in north america now but the one thing I, i'd like to note too with that is because i find if you are if you are say in your early 20s working from home you might not really see the to you it doesn't have any advantage um, because you're like, I want to go into the office. I want to have these relationships. But the people who are on in their career might be in life situations where working from home has a ton of advantages, right? As you get on, it's things, you know, just being able to not commute anymore, having financial obligations that you can like save money in not commuting, um, thing, things around your house, having to take care of, 
an elderly parent or a, a child, like you name it. I think that's why there's no black and white solution to this because where I was at in my 20s versus where I am in my 30s, two different lives. Absolutely. And and I agree with that. And I think, you know, you could even draw a line there to, I, you know, we assume that the student population is within a certain age demographic for the majority, but look at, you know, any any kind of mature student or students Absolutely. who do have have families who, you know, maybe they wanted to be in a co-op program, but because of some commitments, they couldn't be. Mm-hmm. As we continue to go down this path of, of remote work, work integrated learning from home, again, whatever you want to call it, it, it further levels that playing field, doesn't make those individuals or those students who originally thought, I can't do this because I have too many other things on the go, that now now that becomes a bit more of a reality. Um, and I think that's why it's important that we don't rush back into the way we used to do things or you know we got to just get back to normal and john to your point about using the word pivot i agree (laughs) i've I've joked about that word on this show before and uh but the other the other phrase of like back to normal also is kind of getting to the point of like let's just take a second and think does it need to like do we need to get back to normal or can we embrace a good amount of the things that have come out of this the flexibility the hybrid work terms this leveled playing field. Um, and, you know, you'd, you'd both touched off at the beginning about the relationship management now from a virtual perspective. So, you know, maybe as, as we wind down here, what's, what are some methods that you're using as far as, as that goes? Yeah. And I just wanted to just jump back. You know, I think all of it goes back to, you know, being able to work remotely, whatever capacity that is, is, is the word I think Ryan used before is trust. Right. So I think the longstanding way the work was done is unless you're at work, I don't know you're working. Right. And and we were forced to trust people. And I think from that, we also realized that people do really good work. Like, hey, you know what? If you're at home or whatever and you have to adjust your schedule throughout the day, I think a lot of people actually became more efficient at their work because they didn't have those every minute drop in and say, did you watch Yellowstone last night? <laughs> These kind of things, you know, where, you know, people could really get into some work. So I think that trust came in uh, early and employers right across the board, whether it be for, for us personally or for our students, that was, that was a key piece. And that's where we see that going. So that's a big part of what we're talking to our students about now is you have, you know, how do you build that trust with your employer? Right. You're available when they get a hold of you. I can't remember the last time I've used the phone, but I call everybody on teams now. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's and, you know, there's an expectation if I call you that, you know, you're going to you're going to answer and pick up. So from the relationship building. Yeah, I think, you know, we we found a way to be connected, stay connected in, in what quickly became kind of a disconnected world. Right. We all went to our homes. We all kind of sheltered, and, and this is where we live now, and then realized, hey, we need to reconnect with people. And, and through, you know, a lot of different uh, means, we were able to stay connected. And now I think we're using them really, really efficiently and really effectively, where we can do worksite monitors through things like Zoom and Teams and, and WebEx. I was going to say Skype, but I don't think anybody uses that, either, <laughs> which is sure, shocking. Someone, someone's using that's, Skype. That's a whole other episode. Um, yeah, so that, you know, that's part of it. And then just those, those quick check-ins of, you know, it's almost like on a, on a scale of, 
If you email me, I know it's not urgent. If you send me a message on Teams, it's probably more urgent. If you text me, the school must be on fire. So that's where we're going, right? That's kind of the thing. So, you know, we've used all the forms of communication uh, really effectively, both from employers that we've dealt with for a while, students in their comfort level, and then with the, the, the teams that we work with on a daily basis. I think it's been, I think it's been great. I think, honestly, it's, it was the kick we needed that we were just afraid to take, the step we were afraid to take. Yeah, John's made a lot of excellent points, and I, I, I have to like I won't regurgitate them all because I just agree with them in, in, in almost outright. Uh, the one thing I, I thought was very interesting was that we you needed you needed an exceptional world-altering change to make exceptional world-altering workforce transformation. Um, without that, it doesn't happen. But I think if history shown you anything, it's that great circumstances lead to great change. Um, and you can go far, far back and see that kind of since the dawn of time of everything that's been documented and world shaping events have shaped everything else after that. And but the, the one thing that John mentioned that I will, re, you know, kind of go back to because I think it's important for students to know this as well is the concept, the old school concept of if my employees aren't in the office, then I don't know they're working then I would charge that they aren't doing their job because they enjoy doing their job. They're doing their job because they're afraid of losing their job. And that is not a sustainable workforce, nor is it a sustainable employment practice. But I would also charge them, are you hiring the right people? Because eventually people in the office, if they aren't going to be productive, they're just going to find ways not to be productive in the office you have to hire students students i think will benefit most from a hybrid model um, for two reasons one um, they'll get the in-office experience that comes with that like the, the you know the water cooler conversations the chat having a lunch with your manager face to face and, and everything that comes with that but they'll also get the experience of learning how to work remote because the reality is that most companies are going to have hybrid approaches so if you have a student who's only ever then pivoted back to only working in person and now they go to apply for full-time jobs and their manager works remote four days a week they might think oh man like i've only ever had my manager in the office how do i work remote so you don't want to go too far back the other way so you want to give them the best of both worlds to prepare them for the reality of full-time employment which big organizations have almost outright said we're going both ways because employees have made it clear in survey over survey they don't want full-time back a lot of them don't um, and there's too many benefits to argue for a hybrid approach now once again comes down to the industry comes down to the team the employer the person you're you're managing but i think that's kind of the the big shift we're going to see for students is is a hybrid approach and we're seeing and i'm starting to see it now and i think you know the the research from the human resource side of of this or the organizational behavior side of this it's been there for a while um the the narrative has been there that that people can be effective in this and you know it, it's been alluded to but yeah there was a fear there was a fear that this wasn't going to work or that we couldn't figure this out um and i mean ryan you you articulated it perfectly you know when you said it took a, a world changing event to, to lead to world change altering change and and john you'd mentioned it earlier there, there really was no urgency up until something like this happened to be kind of that kick that society needed or, or work place culture needed 
to embrace this. I, I completely agree the hybrid model, much like student learning. Yeah. Um, you know, completely online student learning doesn't work for everyone. And there's a lot of a lot of evidence that entirely in-person student learning also doesn't work for everyone. And this hybrid can be very effective. You know, is the traditional nine to five the model that works best? Probably not. And I think there's there's also a good amount of evidence that you get the most uh, most work done in the morning, like, a, you know, a handful of hours first thing in the morning. If you take a, a pause in the afternoon or for whatever reason, if you need to work later on, obviously you, you work around your clients, you work around whatever it is that you're doing, what makes sense. You're not just going to take, you know, the, every afternoon off if you've got meetings yeah. that you need to be in. But there's a lot of different ways to approach it. And for me, it all it all comes back to trust. Uh, and if you've got it, if, you, if you're hiring the right people, like you said, this this does work, it can work. And it it's no different from a, like hiring a student, whether you're hiring a full time employee, um, whether you're hiring them on a co-op work term or a permanent contract. It's, you know, can you set them up so that they can be effective and impactful? And there's so many tools that you can use if you're really concerned about their efficiency or, or what they're doing, or just, you know, have open lines of communication and talk to your teams and talk to your employees. That's usually the telltale way of knowing if things are getting done. Uh, and it seems like a straightforward approach, but a lot of people just don't talk to each other enough. Um, I just want to thank both of you for taking the time today to, to be on the show. So again, John Daggett and Ryan LaRouche, Thanks for, for sharing your insights on, you know, your roles in the co-op space, the remote work terms uh, and everything in between. And uh, for those of you listening, yeah, check out previous episodes where we dive into this, you know, here and there. But uh, but this one was really good at, at driving home the point and the challenges and the successes that have come out of, of this work, uh, work from home and this remote work lifestyle that we're in now. And thanks everyone for tuning in and listening, and we will see you next time. It's a long way home from here. I won't be back in a year. Cause all the fallen leaves, the birds, the breeze, capture me again. And all the lies you tell someone else, sure could use a friend.